Creating your own reality. Is it possible for me? I am Jennifer Cahill, the Consciousness Architect, and I am here to tell you that it's not only possible, it's closer than you might think. Welcome to the show. Hi, friends. I am delighted and excited to have with us today on Regarding Consciousness, Dr. Cynthia Sue Larson, whose work actually was referred to us, to me specifically, by a dear friend, Nina, over at Resonant Communications and Publications. So a shout out to our friend, Nina, who brought Dr. Cynthia Sue Larson and I together today. And the moment I read her book, I thought it's rare that I ever read a book and I think I would love to have a conversation with that person. And she was one of those books that I couldn't put it down. I read it cover to cover. (laughs) And before we deep dive into a conversation on quantum jumping and her area of expertise and focus, let me share with you a little bit about who Cynthia is and what she does. Cynthia Sue Larson is a best-selling author of several books, including Quantum Jumps, my favorite, the one I mentioned that I love, Reality Shifts, and High Energy Money. Cynthia has a degree in physics from UC Berkeley, an MBA degree, a Doctor of Divinity, and a second degree black belt in Kuk Sul Wan. Cynthia is founder of Reality Shifters, first president of the International Mandela Effect Conference, and Managing Director of Foundations of Mind, and creator and host of Living the Quantum Dream podcast. She has been featured in numerous shows, including Gaia, The History Channel, Coast to Coast AM, One World with Deepak Chopra, and BBC. Cynthia reminds us in every situation to say, how good can it get? I love that, Cynthia. It's brilliant. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, thanks so much for being here with us. And I am so fascinated by this idea of quantum jumping. I know in the book you talk about for the first time, I think scientists were able to see quantum jumping. I think you referenced it in 1986, where the New York Times had a headline that said, we're able to see quantum jumping for the first time. Talk to us a little bit about what is quantum jumping for people who might have never heard of this concept before. Yes, it's a discontinuous kind of a leap, if you will. And I I also utilize this in the form of mind-matter interaction. What we were referring to with what the scientists observed was actually a quantum particle, such as an electron, um, being literally in one place and and then just instantaneously in a new location. And so that was observable to the naked eye, which is a big deal because otherwise a lot of this quantum phenomena, quantum meaning the very most indivisible uh, construct that you can come up with in the material world, those are pretty small. They're at the size of an electron is very tiny. Photons are tiny, and, but those are both visible to the human eye. So that's exciting when you can design experiments that we can actually witness without any intermediary scientific te- technology and devices and so forth. I love to put this in the minds of our listeners out there and the people who might be listening or watching this on YouTube. When we talk about this idea of quantum jumping, could it be that somebody is quantum jumping into a reality that might not be a good reality? I talk, you hear so much on the news and you hear so much pain in the world, people going through heartache, there's wars, etc., wouldn't people ask, why would I be quantum jumping into a reality that is filled with so much distress? And yet you have other people, of course, juxtaposed there, who have these miraculous life filled with miracle after miracle. What has human beings who all cohabitate on this earth have such different experiences? 
That's a great question, and it's pretty involved. We could spend the whole time just talking about that. Oh, my gosh. That's huge. Yeah. Yes, people do have different levels of observational perspective. And so I like to think in terms of consciousness as levels of awareness. And mm-hmm. Leibniz, the philosopher who also was an inventor of calculus, recognized that we can have a first-order perception and then have a second-higher-order perception of the original observation. And this gets to the crux of how even within our own lives, one day can be so different from another, let alone one person's experience can be so different from another. And even those of us who recognize the importance of consciousness now stay in a very positive place. Look for what's good. Look for what we are enjoying. Look for what's enjoyable. And when we do that, of course, we'll see more of it. So that's at the heart of the whole thing. But it's super simple. Can we jump into unfortunate realities? It could happen. I like to ask how good can it get to help steer in things in a more preferable, enjoyable direction. That's more like a direction to our subconscious, which can otherwise sometimes become fascinated with potholes in life and stare. (laughs) It can happen inadvertently. We don't mean to do it. And then when we're doing that, of course, we end up steering for that very same pothole that we didn't mean to be looking at. That's so true. I love that one. Many years ago, I had a different podcast called Get Yourself the Job. And a gentleman named Gary Douglas, founder of Access Consciousness, had joined me and taught me a similar game called How Does It Get Better Than This? And I remember I started playing that game. And when I would explain it to people, I said, it's almost like we are walking through this vast expanse of warehouse that is pitch black. And the only thing that we have to navigate it is this itty bitty teeny tiny like miner's helmet light, right? And that miner's helmet light is the direction, it's our perception like you're speaking about, that we turn our head left, we're gonna see what's the left. We turn our head, we're gonna see what's there. And correct me if I'm wrong on this, but the way I understood it, because I love trying to explain this to people when I share this game with them and your game as well. When we have these billions of bits of information that are all everything in this black expanse of a warehouse that is space-time, if you consider space-time to be fundamental, but that's a different conversation, (laughs) but this warehouse of infinite possibilities, and it's wherever we're putting our attention of those, how scientists argue on whether it's 50 bits or 120 bits of information that we're processing at the conscious level, that's where we're going to go. And almost, I'm kind of speaking this, and it's coming to me as I say this, that would have you quantum jump into that reality, whichever reality is the one that you're pointing in your direction or your attention or perception to. Would that be fairly accurate? Yeah, that's a huge part of it. And that's the intentional part of it and attentional part of it as well. So there are other factors sometimes when I talk about these levels of perceptual awareness, this is very important because it gets into the heart of what People in India refer to as chakras, of course. These are another way to look at levels of conceptual perception of intention and attention. And when you realize each one of us is a multitude, this gets into where we can sometimes get into a little bit of back and forth. So some of the quantum jumps, we might see flip-flops, where we see something like a miracle happen, and then it goes in the other direction, kind of goes back and forth. For those of listeners who understand mind-matter interaction. It's a strange phenomenon, but when it happens, it's unmistakable, undeniable. Otherwise, I know it sounds out there, (laughs) kind of like, that sounds crazy. Not when you see it. When you see it, this is pretty wild. And then, but in those moments, I liked, I'm bringing it up because that's an example of where you can start to feel, oh, I think I felt tense and I went back into one reality. Now I'm relaxing and I'm 
back in the other one. It's fun when you can surf that wave and see firsthand that as you're feeling like, oh, everything's okay, I can relax, I can trust that things are good, feel loving toward others, even though I may have been feeling frightened. So this, it's I love that kind of firsthand experiential awareness where you can try something in real life and see how it works. So that's why I'm bringing it up as strange as an experience as it may seem. Yeah, it, it makes so much sense. And I wanted to tie in the idea. I wasn't sure if you've heard of this movie because it helps for me to quantify and explain to people everything, everywhere, all at once. Have you seen yes. that? Yes. How accurate is that? That is something I'm so curious about because I thought it really encapsulated in a beautiful way. And let me digress to explain to our audience in case they're not aware. There's a movie that for me was painful. I could barely get through the first 20 minutes of it because it's about this family and they're an Asian family who is running a laundromat and it is like nails on a chalkboard. It's so painful and boring and they go to the IRS and I look over at my husband. I'm like, honey, I heard this movie was supposed to be spectacular and about quantum physics and quantum jumping and what is this movie really about? And he's like, honey, just stick with it. And then poof, it just blows you <laughs> right out of the <laughs> So talk to us. It's about the story of how this family discovers their capacity of all the different variations of the reality that they could potentially be living in. How accurate is it? Is it a good representation of how we could perhaps imagine quantum jumping? Like most of these consciousness science fiction type fantasy movies, it's a metaphor. So it, I think it's showing something. It's not exactly the way experiencers typically experience these things, but there's some strong parallels. And I have had those moments where I have had skill sets arrive that I didn't train for that were like as if they'd just been gifted to me from an adjacent reality. So I musically, just being able to play a keyboard when I hadn't played piano before, I just brought a little keyboard to a a weekend management training seminar and I thought it'll be fun to play and no problem playing it which and then the same thing with playing the drums on stage for a performance when there was a sort of a jam session going on with musicians their drummer walked off the stage I could hear the drum beat in my head I could feel what my hands should be doing and it became an irresistible pull I felt like I need to jump on the stage and play the drums which I'd never played in my life prior to that, that those are similar things to the movie in a way so I'm bringing them up because in my experience, yes, you can experience some of this. This next question may be controversial, but I feel, and I feel, I don't like to use the word, but, and it may need to be asked. What level, so somebody might look at you and they say, Cynthia, you went to Berkeley, you're brilliantly intelligent, you have a doctorate. Is it because you're so brilliant that you have an aptitude to be able to pick up piano, pick up the drums, to be able to whether you consider it jumping or having a proclivity for unexpected talent at certain instruments or anything for that matter, is that correlated to intelligence or does it have nothing to do with it? And somebody who might've never even graduated from high school could equally have the ability to quantum jump into one of those realities. From what I've experienced, and I've done some surveying to, to see who is it that's experiencing these types of reality shifts and quantum jumps, and they tend to be intuitive feelers known as empaths. So if you do the Myers-Briggs interest inventory, it's the intuitive feeler, the middle part of the four. It's like you can have INFJ, that would be an introverted, intuitive feeling, judging personality. So the NF part of it is the intuitive feeler. Those are the people, not so much IQ. I, I haven't done a study on IQ or intelligence. And those are treacherous waters to because there are so many different types of intelligence, including emotional intelligence. I would hazard, I'm going to put forth the idea, there should be 
an intuitive feeling empath level of awareness. And that's the one where you might call it a mystic or someone who is a sensitive and they can sense an adjacent reality that's right here. Those are the people they are going to be able to feel like now I'm in that reality. And I get that. And I do want to highlight the only reason I even brought that into this is I always like to imagine and be put myself in the minds of the listeners. And I can hear the listeners saying, Cynthia's really smart. So, you know, it really wasn't that hard for her to pick up pick, playing the drums or the keyboards, which is why I was curious about it. So I personally, I think that we all have capacity intellectually, emotionally, and to the point of quantum jumping. I think that depending on who we are, like I was not a very compassionate or empathetic person in my youth. I apologize to you if you knew me between 16 to 25. I did not make good life choices. I was quantum jumping about the opposite direction you would want to jump from a good life, (laughs) whatever that would be. And so I think that we do have the capacity no matter where we start at. I think that some of us might have a natural proclivity towards empathy, or some of us might have a natural proclivity towards test-taking or something of that nature. And I think that if you shook that all out and got rid of all of that, I think that every one of us with the right level of intention and attention, as you were saying earlier, that the sky is the limit for us. Would you say that's fairly accurate? I would say that's pretty accurate. And when I want to be clear on when I mentioned the intuitive feelers, I'm talking about the reporting that's happening. So when people report that they've witnessed these quantum jumps, reality shifts, and Mandela effects, they're the, they tend to be a very small subset of the population, less than a 25%. So it's about 23% of the population is experiencing some 73 or almost 75% of these um, quantum jumps where they do suddenly have a skill set that wasn't there before. So I think that is worth mentioning because But you're right, anybody can experience it. So we're just talking about who are the ones most likely to. And I don't think it has anything to do with intelligence, schooling, anything like that. The advantage would be to develop those intuitive feeling skills, but you can quantum jump into them too. So even if people want to expand, explore this at the highest level of appreciating that this really does happen, some really out there experiences, then you can actually say, I'd like to develop this intuitive feeling so I can sense an adjacent reality, really feel like it's here and then believe that I'm in it. So it's that kind of a, a mental awareness. I think that does help. And so when we're talking about all of these different potentialities that you will, I remember I heard it from one of my Kabbalistic teachers one time, gave a great example. And it's funny because they allude to this in the movie, Everything Everywhere All at Once. What part of it has to do with going out of your nature? So in the Kabbalah, which is one of my favorite things that I study, the my teacher said it's Cynthia or Jen, we're sitting in a movie theater and we're watching the Jen Hill, the Cynthia Sue Larson show, and it's going a particular way, right? Like that show is going to go, that movie is going to go with a certain ending if it keeps going the way it's going. And then if you go against your very nature, you do something that's really challenging. Let's say you're afraid of public speaking, you stand up in front of 20 people, or you do something that is really emotionally challenging. I was with a friend last night who said she was in, I forget, it's called like a Temezcal sweat lodge in Mexico. And she was terrified. You get locked in this thing and you can't get out. And it was her worst fear. And she had a fever already. And yet she got a beautiful download and completely shifted her life path out of it. So talk to me a little bit about your experience with that. Yes, uh, these examples are good ones. And with our show, I'm not feeling a state of fear, but the other examples, they sounded a little bit fearful. So I'm not, fortunately, I'm not afraid of Jen Hill and Cynthia Sue Larson (laughs) and what we're creating. It's like, it's going to be good. I just believe in that. But for someone who's facing something that seems terrifying, 
And you're making a choice to let go of the fear and go. I had to overcome that hesitation to jump on stage. I hadn't jumped on stage and in front of people play the drums. And for this woman that you mentioned, jumping into the sweat lodge when you're not feeling good about it, you've got some intuitive uh, misgivings, (laughs) feeling sick and so forth. Then what happens when you overcome that fear and you move into that state of expansiveness and love is really transcending that level of initial perception. Remember when I mentioned life needs and the original perception and that moment of feeling sick, I'm afraid of it, I don't like this. But to observe yourself, uh, which you can do easily just by saying Jen Hill and Cynthia Sue Larson are now doing a show. I've, I've done a jump up just like you were doing. And with that one jump of perception up, you can then access things, mm. all of your observational skill set and your even your awareness can shift to that level so that you are now capable of overcoming whatever that fear might have been. It doesn't look the same anymore. So you're seeing, we're seeing ourselves, or Cynthia Sue Larson and Jen Hill are seeing themselves as suddenly capable of doing whatever. And the show has just blossomed into all possibility. I love that. And I'm curious how that ties into the scientific aspect of the observer principle, right? Where, as you stated early in quantum physics, the first time that scientists started to see things happening differently, and they could see a particle operating as both a particle and a wave at the same time. And if I'm not mistaken, forgive me, I'm not a quantum physicist, I just love learning about this stuff. Um, that when it's the observer that has the impact on whether you're seeing a particle or a wave at any given moment, is that too, like Jen or Cynthia Sue Larson, observing and taking that step back that um, the gentleman you mentioned who created calculus, getting that higher level perception, that the moment you get to that different level of perception, then you too have the ability to take the reins of how you see the situation. Yes. And when you talk about science and scientists, we, you and I know that they don't always agree. And this, and you referenced earlier, the whole thing about space and time, maybe that's not the fundamental basis of reality. So where does the observer exist? This is still a hot topic. You might think it was, (laughs) you and I know it's not resolved. (laughs) So then it's just, it's just, where does it feel right to each of us? And what makes sense? (laughs) Where is the observer? To me, the observer is very elusive in a sense. And even though we know we live in a participatory universe, we know that the observer does seem to matter. And that participation that's happening between mind and matter is ongoing. And we do, what I like to do is just tune into the levels of conscious awareness that I'm accessing. So I do gain a a different level looking at myself as Cynthia Sue Larson and you as Jen Hill, just leveling up a little bit. So we're looking now in third person. And recognizing that we can play, interact, and engage as observers operating at these different levels. We see something similar to that in an experiment that's, I don't want to get too technical, but there, <laughs> there's something I like called technical. <laughs> and we okay. have very technical discussions on the show, so I'm not afraid of it. <laughs> cool. Okay. Wigner's friend is, is a, the idea that you can have an observer observing an, the original observer. So you can sort of have turtles all the way down, observers all the way down. And it seems like that's what's going on within each of our lives and also socially. And just keeping it simple, the double slit experiment is something you may have talked about on your show before. It's called the most elegant experiment in all of science. And it has to do with just sending a single particle, such as a photon, through possibly one of two slits that are in between the particle emitter and then a screen. That's the whole apparatus right there, plus the observer. That experiment was done just a few years ago in a collaborative special format with two observational devices. One 
and six entangled photons, which gets a little involved. But basically, the two observational devices, the question was, can will they both see the same thing at the same time wow. if they're in the same place at the same time? And this was a <laughs> good question. And the, the hypothesis was maybe they won't uh, because of the sorts of things we're talking about. And indeed, the two observational devices at the same place and same time did not observe the same thing at that same location. And so what are we seeing here? It's what you're asking is, yes, the observer matters. Absolutely. Whether you decide that space-time is the primary foundational state of all of reality, I don't think that's true. To me, it looks more like consciousness. I think we're still looking for that <laughs> that way to yeah. bring together the quantum <laughs> physics with the realm of the very large and maybe the mathematics of the amplitudehedron might provide some clues. We're looking to another level. So that's you have so, to speak in the language of one of my dear friends, Don Hoffman. Do you know Don? Yes. I yes. love Don. I was like, if you have not interviewed Don and you don't know him, because he and oh. I've done a lot. And I just had him on recently with another friend of mine, Jude Curvin. And we just geeked out talking about the amplitude hedrons and his mathematical formula for consciousness. It is it is incredible. I remember, yeah, that there's I could digress there, but we'll focus on Yes. <laughs> I love that you and Don know each other because I thought they were yes. there. <laughs> I've been a big fan of his for 20 years. And yeah, he's just remarkable. I agree. <laughs> Yeah. It's amazing, though. What I love is that no matter who the brightest minds are in the world, the Dons, the Yus, the Deepaks, and my friend Jude, and so many others, what I've found is there is some level of agreement. And the agreement, even if you have differing perspectives on how you get to the math of the formula of the foundation of the universe, be it consciousness or something else, it's like we're all, going back to the observer principle and how we're all observing things, it's like there's this, this little dot in the center of the universe, and every one of us is a speck of light observing that dot from our own vantage point. And that in and of itself is giving us our reality that then is being projected back to us. I don't know where that just came from. <laughs> yeah, and it's inviting us to play. That's what I feel. I feel like there's a huge invitation here. Can you, what, do, what are you observing? What does what comes to your attention. And it doesn't need to be a scary phenomenon. To me, it seems very playful, very um, engaging, very much of an invitation. So that's what I feel when I feel like the universe is inviting us out to get involved. Come on, <laughs> what would you like to create today? Yeah, how, And that's what the how good can it get for me is that expression of, it's a reminder for myself and for others, just no matter where we are at to engage to feel that the questions that we're thinking even if we don't say them are absolutely imp impacting everything around us and that's something that was not taught in, when I went to school <laughs> in grade school it was not part of the primary school education and even when I took physics it was not part of the curriculum that the way that we are thinking and feeling the questions that we the observers are affecting the outcome of all sorts of things around us and we are absolutely entangled and connected with each and everyone else who we are connected to through love and through relationships of all kinds. A phenomenal cooperative, collaborative, conscious creation occurring. And yeah, I think it's quite extraordinary. We're living in amazing times that we can even talk about this and that we can have scientists stepping forward and saying that these phenomena are indeed real. I don't know where this is coming from, but what I'm hearing is a question around quantum entanglement. Let's say that 
and this is just what's coming to mind to be very literal because I like to make this real world. I could get into the esoteric philosophical discussions and I also want to be sure that every episode our listeners can walk away with something personal and a value that they can go out and apply in their real lives. So let's say that you have, hypothetically, you're back in that movie theater and there's the person to your left, might be your sister, your best friend, whomever, is saying, oh, this movie sucks, it's tough, it's hard, I can't. The person to your right is saying, why'd you even choose this movie? And then somebody way in the back is, this is a great movie, I really like this movie. You know, how do you, what is the entanglement of our experiences with the myriad of other people who are watching the movie with us? That's a great question. There is a collective consciousness that we can feel it's palpable. And I think lately, a lot of us are very aware of it when we look at the news. Usually when it looks like, what are those people doing? What's impelling them to act the way they're acting? We see it in others more clearly than ourselves, but we're very connected with the consciousness of those around us. And feeling it is extraordinary. I was in a movie theater with my friend Fred Allen Wolf when What the Bleep Do We Know came out. Amazing. And so the previews were playing. You're talking about the movie theater, and it just reminded me, like, Fred's on my left, and there's someone on my right. Now, he didn't hate the previews, but before the movie came on, because it was the premiere, and we were watching it, then he was going to get to do some Q&A with the director and stuff afterward. It was a special showing in San Francisco. But when the previews came on, they were for action films, and it was not what the audience wanted to see. So this is the surprising thing. People were booing for the previews. They didn't boo when What the Bleep Do We Know came on the screen, fortunately. <laughs> that was what they came to see. But they were booing, and then Fred looked at me like, why are they booing? And it was such an interesting moment. And I wasn't booing, and not everybody was booing. But there were some people just, and I forget which action film it was, but it was one of those bang, shoot them up, lots of chase scenes kind of things. And I told Fred, it seems to me that people really are here to talk about consciousness and they don't want to be dragged down to that level of just fight or flight and all that fear-based stuff. But it was such an interesting moment. I was caught by surprise too. Like, why are people booing? This is weird. But we feel that sometimes. And then sometimes you'll see that the tide turns. The thing I talked about, you go in one reality, then it goes back. We see that with group consciousness as well where it feels like everybody's going one way and there's a consensus pushing one way. And then you can see it come back. We're part of this to help. The the way I see it, we're part of it to bring love, to bring openness, to bring a higher level observational awareness into the groups that we're part of. So that maybe we're not the ones booing, but just this, our calmness can be felt. I know it's felt. And eventually people will realize that they don't need to overreact when there's a pull one way or the other. Okay, so it's a pull. Some people are feeling stressed about politics right now. <laughs> Doesn't the, the movie analogy is such a good one because I think we're seeing what we're talking about in real life. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. And the thing is though, and to take it back to that Kabbalistic analogy, you can quantum jump into different realities. I've seen it myself. I was married and with somebody for 14 years and then one day it's just this is not the reality I'm committed to. And then next thing you know, four months later, I met my soulmate after divorcing, going through a process of separating and divorcing my ex-husband, and then jumped into a completely different reality, completely altered, completely changed careers. Everything did a 180. And I just think there are possibilities out there. 
And one of the biggest things that I love about your work and about movies like Everything Everywhere All at Once is this idea that there are infinite possibilities. There are infinite superpositions and possibilities of Cynthia Sue Larson, Jennifer Cahill, the Cynthia Sue Larson who's a drummer in a rock band, the Jennifer <laughs> Cahill who's a neurosurgeon or a neuroscientist. And I think it's so fun when we begin to play with all of this. And I do want to ask one thing, the one thing, Cynthia, before we wrap here, there was a story that I think a friend had originally shared with me long before I read your book about, and I couldn't find the original interview about it, how you ran out of a spice in your kitchen and walked back and forth and back and forth until you turned to the reality where that spice had refilled itself. Can you enlighten us? Is that a real story? I could not find it. It is. It it absolutely is real. I love (laughs) that. That was like the most amazing thing I'd ever heard. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yes, that was real. And you know what's even stranger or more wonderful? I just typed that a little reference to that experience to a good friend of mine just about an hour ago. Out of the out of all the things to bring up, and it just came to me. So this is very funny that you're mentioning it now. Yes, what happened is I was looking, I was cooking something. I think it may have been nutmeg. I can't remember myself. I think it was the nutmeg. But anyway, I checked my spice cabinet right where it should be, and I poked around to see where is it, and I couldn't find it. However, I wasn't concerned about it because even though I needed it and I'd rather have it at home than go shopping for it, I thought, no problem. I'll just shut the cupboard door leave the kitchen, walk down the hall, and then walk back and then check again. And the way I look at it, and the way I engage with this activity, it's a, it's like a fun exercise. I just think of it as walking through realities, literally. And I've many of the reality shifts I notice happen after I've been walking, like a lost item will suddenly appear. And walking is very powerful, especially if you go through doorways, because it gives your subconscious a clue. Like I'm now I'm in a different reality. And so you're just telling yourself, fully expecting, I'm going to open that cupboard. And the second time I, okay, the first time I checked again, it wasn't there. So I shut it. And then I came back. And now the third time I'm checking to find it, it's my second return. But I'm just looking for the third time, still not there. I think it took four or five times, which might sound insane. Like the definition of insanity is to keep doing the same thing you've been doing. But not this time. Because I know it's like, it's in there. There's going to be the reality where it does show up. And sure enough, I think on the fifth time, there it was right in front. And there was nobody else in the house doing anything with the cupboard. In case you're wondering, oh, someone played a trick on me. No, there was no one else around. It's just me leaving the kitchen, coming back, leaving the kitchen, coming back. And there was nowhere else it could have been. So I did post this experience, I think, on my blog somewhere. I know I've referenced it on my Reality Shifters website as well. Yeah, it's just remarkable when you think about all of this. I are you familiar with Jean Houston? I'm sure your paths must have crossed. I love Oh yes. She I first got introduced to her work. I was in a Zoom room with her and I didn't know who she was when we met two or three years ago. And so it was me and Jean and two other people or one other person. I said, Oh, Jean, hi, nice to meet you. What do you do? I'm not knowing she's the keynote for that day. And she's oh I'm an author and a speaker. And I was like, Oh, and she's just so humble and <laughs> down yes. And I love, because in one of her courses, she talks about the idea of putting your hands out and imagining all of the different frequencies of time that you could potentially experience and visualizing walking into the version of time or the reality that you want. And my husband and I had that last year when we got married. It was during the peak of Delta virus COVID. Flights were being shut down. Restrictions were being put up. We had four nights of wedding stuff planned, like culminating in the wedding on the third or fourth night. And this all happened. And every day, my husband and I would sit there and we would just put our hands out and we'd just visualize walking into the reality where all 80 of our guests from around the world 
arrived safely, were healthy, and the parties went off without a hitch. And to this day, we look back and we're like, how did that happen? All 80 people arrived safely. Not a single person got sick, thank God. And we had the most miraculous time. And we literally just jumped right into reality that was not viable by anything scientifically possible in that moment. If you were to take a snapshot of the percentage of possibility of that happening was 0.00001%. We even had to get a COVID test the day of our own wedding, if you can imagine. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that's so true. It really does work that way. And it's so funny you bring up Jean Houston and the number 80. I was at her 80th birthday where Sherry Steinkellner was a screenwriter had worked with me to develop a screenplay for a play that was, it was based also, of course, Jean Houston put it together about three women on a stage all giving TED Talks. And there's like three different complimentary facets basically of Jean Houston. And so that was presented in Ashland for her 80th birthday, which I was fortunate enough, blessed to be there for that. And I was blessed to be part of the creative process of how this all came together. And I would love to see that made. So I'm just putting that out there because, and recently I felt I've been telling Sherry Steinkilner, I saw a version of it. I've seen, I thought after we did that walkthrough, we, I wasn't the actor. The actresses on the stage were presenting it in Ashland. And I know that I saw a reality where it was on YouTube in a beautiful theater, but now there's no trace of that. And I can't find a link to it. This is some realities sort of temporarily vanished, but then it made me, it prompted me to follow up several years later now with Sherry Steinkilner and say, you know, what happened to this? Can we bring it forth? And so that may, I don't know what's going to happen with that, but it's it just amazing. Again, you're mentioning the number 80 of your guests. And I was there for the 80th birthday for Jean Houston, of all things. So this is remarkable. This conversation to me is like, woo. <laughs> that's how I live. Everybody says, how do you live the life? That's why we reschedule this interview because our mutual friend Deepak Chopra is, oh, come to my small retreat in Dubai. And it's like, okay. And you just start jumping in and out. And the more yes. I still want to leave everyone with this, exactly what Cynthia is saying. How, what was the phrase you said? How does it, the good, what's the phrase you use? How good can it get? So it's just five words. How good can it get? What if we all lived our lives? What was, what if that was our morning mantra? I remember when I learned the how does it get better than this game, which is much more hard to say, by the way, than yours. (laughs) How good can it get? My friends and I were just memeing it on our phones. Literally, we would say it out loud every day. And one month after I started playing that game, every time something a little good happened, I would say it over and over. Yes. And I, I do re- recommend this as a mantra. Exactly. Even if things are crummy, this is great. Even if they're blah, it doesn't matter where you're at. It's like the starting point is fine because some people may feel like I can't do this yet because it's such a bad day. No, do it. Of course, do it now. Or it's sort of blah. Of course, do it now. It doesn't require any energy to ask that question. And it's powered by the feeling. So as you feel more energy, it'll get powered up. (laughs) Yeah, when I was a little girl, I remember I used to say to myself, I feel good. Oh, I feel so good when I wasn't feeling well to try and like shift reality. So Cynthia, you and I obviously talk for hours, my friend. I would love to know, are there any any wisdom, any tips that you have for people listening out there who might be wondering, what does the future of quantum jumping hold for them? What is your takeaway or wisdom you'd love to leave them with? It's an invitation. I just want to let people know that you've been invited. You've been officially been invited to find out how good your life can get. And it's, 
you're welcome to start anytime, like right now. <laughs> yes, and play it and be open to the miracles. This was something, another brilliant thought leader I had the pleasure. If you haven't met him, you would love him. Dr. Todd Ovakaitis, I interviewed last year around December. And Dr. Todd taught me every night before I go to bed, Cynthia, I would do these three things. And Dr. Todd challenged me to add a few more. And I would write down how I could have lived today better. What am I proud of myself for? And what am I grateful for? And Dr. Todd challenged me, Jen, I'm going to ask you to add a few more things. I want you to write down the moments of synchronicity, awe, and miracles every day. And when we look for how good can it get, when we look for those miracles, and when we are willing to be able to acknowledge and receive them, because that's the thing, so many of us, we receive synchronicities, miracles, yeah. awe, wonder. We do. And yet we are not aware. We're either unconscious to them or it's an adjacent reality right there. Yeah. yeah. It's so and so play with that. Okay. Yourself. Tomorrow, ask the universe, how good can it get? Ask the universe to show you five, ten, twenty, a hundred miracles, and may you have the wisdom to receive and appreciate them. Yes. So Dr. Cynthia Sularson, it's been so much fun having you here with us today. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Where can people go to find you? Uh, realityshifters.com is my website. I've got a monthly free newsletter and then you can check out the books and the meditation CD and so forth. Amazing. Thank you again. Thank, oh, thank you, Jennifer. It's been such a pleasure and a delight. Again, I am Jennifer K. Hill, host of Regarding Consciousness, CEO of om-heals.com. You're welcome to go on there and feel free to answer our matching questions. That is my gift. When I'm not hosting shows, I'm a cosmic connector and I love to connect people. So feel free to answer our matching questions. It's free to find out who you match with and always a pleasure to be with each and every one of you. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for joining us today for another episode of Regarding Consciousness with Jennifer K. Hill. We would love it if you would take a moment and write a review for us or rate us on Apple Music, Spotify, Amazon, or whatever your favorite podcast platform is. And if you'd like to stay in touch and find out about upcoming events with some of the amazing guests we've had on the show, like Deepak Chopra and other world thought leaders, feel free to join my email list at metabizics, M-E-T-A-B-I-Z-I-C-S, Dot com. Again, that's metabizics.com. And you can go ahead and join our email list there. Thanks so much. And we look forward to having you join us next week.